Hello and welcome to another episode of the Waste Books Podcast. This is Phil. Um, This month we talked about a book called Sex at Dawn by Christopher Ryan and Casilda Jetha. Um, It's kind of a super controversial book about human sexuality, in particular uh, prehistoric human sexuality. Um, The authors kind of just go through and give what I've been thinking of as like a material, a materialist deconstruction of um, kind of mainstream pictures of human sexuality. They trace it back to uh, the beginnings of substantial property when the agricultural revolution happened and say that um, our sort of propertarian attitudes um, toward each other in something like monogamy um, didn't really happen until like 10,000 years ago and that humans were really just probably, probably being the keyword because we don't have much prehistoric evidence because it's mostly all gone. But humans probably lived more promiscuously than not, is their argument. Um, It ends up really kind of blowing apart a bunch of Hobbesian preconceptions of the world. Kind of really makes us rethink a scarcity mindset that seems to be infecting everyone. Um, Maybe because of capitalism? I don't know. Okay, um... I don't want to say much more. Check out our website, waste-division.org. And if you like what we do, please check out um, the Patreon and um, think about uh, contributing that way. Um, Okay, anyway, here's our conversation about sex at dawn. Waste. 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 Books! Appendix. After we talk, that's going to be on the podcast. Dan listening to himself. Recording. <laughs> All right, Recording. Here we are. Okay. Anyways. All right. Okay. Yeah. What were you going to say? Phil? I was just going to say we've been pretty good about it, but just not fidgeting too much when we're not talking or trying to have minimal background noise, because then I don't really have to edit. And it's kind of yeah. Nice. I always use just mute my mic. Yeah, that's yeah. smart. I sit. In a, I'm I'm in a squeaky ass chair, and that is by oh, design. That is smart. You just that's great. <laughs> that is the, by design. You said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I live an intentional life these days. It's kind of this new thing I'm into. You ever heard of minimalism? <laughs> that's basically me. <laughs> I did turn my phone on. Do not disturb. That's pretty professional. Oh shit! Wow. I'm gonna do that too. I'm not. <clears throat> I'm not. Yeah, me I don't neither. give a fuck. Just to be, op- just to be oppositional. Yeah, no, we're going to disturb me. We're in the opposition <laughs> No, that's the point of turning do not disturb on, is <laughs> that nobody will disturb me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, editor? <laughs> Mark Ed- that. Editor is dead, man. There's no editor. There's no editor. We just fucking post it live. <laughs> Are we uh, live? Editor. We're on, man. We're on. People can hear us. So so we yeah. should probably talk about which book we're doing this time. Yeah. We should actually first We should first direct people to our iTunes and leave us a re- rating and review. Yeah. 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 Pod, yeah Podbean. <laughs> yes. This podcast no, no. is brought to you by Podbean. Fuck you guys. Podbean <laughs> is the best. <laughs> 
Podbean and die, man. I'm going to be in Podbean's camp. We can fight about Podbean on this podcast all you want. <laughs> I, I honestly think Podbean is probably where all the internet's going to end up in about four or five years. You can mark my words <laughs> it's on like that. It's like Google. <laughs> right, yeah, they're going to be one of the uh, major internet companies. <laughs> <laughs> Google's going to go to the way of, like, ask Jeeves and Yahoo Answers, and we're pretty much just going to be doing everything on Podbean. When did the American Revolution happen? I don't know, let me Podbean that. <laughs> let me Podbean that. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, so... I do have the new Podbean product. It's kind of like Alexa, but it's Bethinda. <laughs> 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 she is not helpful. <laughs> but then, uh... <laughs> um, but no, the first thing we could do, like we always do each and every episode, is introduce ourselves. Hello, I'm Cooper Malin. From? Oh, yeah, I'm in uh, beautiful Dixon, Montana. Does anybody remember the rule? Yeah, alphabetical, right. Oh, did I break that? No, no. You no. Did it. Oh, okay. You did it. <clears throat> you, who can figure out the next letter? <laughs> uh, that'll be Eric. <laughs> e? Daniel! <laughs> it's early in Bangkok, yo. Oh, my yo. God. This is a, this is, is a book club is. podcast, and we can't even get out of the alphabet right. <laughs> well, who, well, yeah. Yeah, basically, yeah. That's all right, Dan. But go ahead. Introduce yourself. <laughs> I thought this was going to be easier. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, this is Dad. I'm in the outskirts of Bangkok in the early a.m. <laughs> the this outskirts of Bangkok? <laughs> yeah. Is that where your apartment Rabintra. is? Yep, yep. Robin Truck on my bed. Represent. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. This is Eric in Eugene, Oregon. Pacific Northwest. B&W, what up? Track City. Uh, track Mark City. It's Track Town, <laughs> goddammit. <laughs> track City? Oh, is that oh, Jordan? Whoa! Look who just showed up. Oh, that's good timing, Jordan. Perfect in time for the Except, intro. It's like yeah, a that's alphabetical Pokemon. order, too. Right. Are you recording? He was next on the list. Jordan? Not yet. Oh. I want to say, this is Jordan in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. sorry. Oh, God. We're just going to wait for you. This is sultry. <laughs> so that's the word? Right. This is just the anticipation we're building up for the, you know, main event. Oh, yeah. 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 Just do it. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'm I'm looking on our iTunes right now, and we have three... We have five ratings. Three people wrote ratings, and I'm pretty sure two of them are hosts of this podcast. Yeah, actually, you should re- read yours, Coop, because yours is good. I didn't leave one. I'm not. Oh, I oh God! <laughs> I thought you left. One. I did. I don't want to call anybody out, but just reading them, I'm like, guys, this feels like it's one of us. <laughs> <laughs> no. That no would be shade. ridiculous. I love, I love it, but I, I'm, I'm, my, I have my detective hat on. Maybe I, we've reached a kindred soul. Somebody did give us just a three-star rating, which I guess is okay. 
It makes me feel weird that they were just kind of like lukewarm about it. Yeah, <laughs> fuck them. <laughs> fuck like you, just Star so Reviewer. Like, you'd rather ha- have them hate it than just like kind of like be okay with I, it? I want a one star yeah. or a five star. Okay. Right. Anyways, uh, Jordan, you want to... This is in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Oh, Hell yeah. All low-voiced and shit. Damn. <laughs> all right, and I'm rounding it out here. I'm Phil Griffin in Billings, Montana. Woo! And this is... The... Waste Books. books. Guys, I thought we talked about we were going to do something like that. Oh. This... This is the Waste Books Podcast. Podcast. Radio Hour. (laughs) Oh. The Bill Gates and Melinda Gates Gates Foundation. That's who's sponsoring this episode? And viewers like you and Podbean. (laughs) Right. All right. We made it through the the introductions. (laughs) We did. It's it's only getting longer, even though we did make it easier. (laughs) I was just about to say that, yeah. It's only getting harder. No, that was cool (laughs) how Jordan swooped in, though. I like that. We Um, should try to plan that for each one. We'll have one of us swoop in randomly. (laughs) One of us just just comes in 10 minutes in. (laughs) Ooh, I can report a concern on our website. Oh. Don't have enough viewers. That's a concern. <laughs> iTunes. Uh, can we start? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it, Phil. You're the captain of this shit. All right, I'm yeah, captain yeah. this time. You know what? I want people to do real quick before we start. I want people to go and um, leave us a five star rating, and then just or fucking tear us apart in the review. No, because we need to get that five star to bump up our algorithm. Yeah. But then just tear, tear us a new one in the review. Yeah, just leave the five and then you could say whatever you want. You have free reign to hurt all of our feelings. <laughs> I am very sensitive. Uh, okay, so thanks, Cooper. Guys, this... I'm just doing all I can out here. As the creator of Waste Division, I'm just out <laughs> here working my ass off. Trying to get, trying to get us our own, our little piece of heaven. Oh, Captain! I <laughs> <laughs> well, Cooper, this was supposed to be my show, but I kind of just want to give it to you, man. You should no. be the captain on this one. No, I'm so I'm instantly scared. Me as the leader, We've all been I'm going to talk a big game. You're going to toss it to me, and I'm just going to squander it. <laughs> I, I personally want Phil to captain this, so. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be tough. Um, okay, so, Sex at Dawn. Wow. What an interesting read. Are you reading off a script? I have a teleprompter. <laughs> so, I've been thinking a lot about this book for a while. Um, I guess I'm cu- just really curious, like, should I just do a little recap of it first, and then we do initial reactions, or... yeah. What? Yeah, who's it? Let's give the author out. The authors too. Oh yeah, authors uh, Christopher Ryan and Casilda Jetha. And they're like a husband and wife. Are they anthropologists? Are they? Yeah, she's em- kind of a doctor. She's done a lot of medical research and stuff, and then kind of anthro stuff. It sounds like from the mm-hmm. book. Um, and she's in Bali now, trying to get work, and he's just bouncing around with his podcast. Oh. Yeah. 
Um, and he so he stops in Bali every now and then and th- does some recording over there and goes back to L.A. Um, that's what's kind of cool about this book is the author's still alive and active as a kind of voice in the culture. Um, did you guys listen to any of his podcasts, per chance? Uh, I watched the TED Talk, and I thought that was a good brief little like snippet of him yeah. talking about stuff. TED Talk is cool. <laughs> um, so I think Peter uh, Sagel on the back here of NPR says that this is, uh, he uses the word demolishes. And that's a word that occurred to me when I was reading this, um, is how it pretty, seems to pretty completely try to demolish like a whole bunch of big pillars of modern life that we take for granted. He hates mm. Western civilization. Ha- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dan. We can look forward to more of that, I hope. Yes, yes indeed. <laughs> um, and mostly just goes back. He's really interested in... I became kind of obsessed and realized how huge an idea it is about the agricultural revolution being um, a sig- very significant time in human history because it's the first time that humans had substantial property. Um, right. So his argument basically is that humans evolved as an animal over 100 or 200 or 300,000 years, um, pretty much on the African plane, and then made our way out from there. Um, and that in 10,000 years ago, we had this agricultural revolution that changed everything. Um, in the sense that, too, like if you think about it, it's almost impossible, I think, for us to really imagine a society without property. Right, we kind of talked about this with dispossessed, but mm-hmm. um, that's like a kind of earth-shattering or view-shattering concept for us. I think. Um, so anyway, his argument is that in the last ten thousand years, shit has gotten really weird and pretty artificial for humans because of the agricultural revolution. It was a kind of power to build capital like we never had before, because before that we would just follow the capital around in the form of food that we could hunt or gather and forage for. Um, so his argument is that we evolved in this a certain capacity for a long time, and now we're thrust into these highly artificial circumstances. And one of those things is a conception of sex that seems pretty opposed um, to what you could argue we evolved in so we evolved in a certain circumstance for a really long time like 95 or 99 percent even you could say of our time on earth and then we were all of a sudden put into this certain culture um it ends up being a pretty substantial attack on monogamy i think and uh really just a general western philosophy that undergirds a lot of our thinking, which is a kind of Hobbesian scarcity uh, mindset view. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of just walks us through a bunch of stuff that makes us question um, kind of basic assumptions that we have. He compares us a lot to uh, apes and bonobos in particular. He kind of wants to emphasize that bonobos are like just as close a relative of ours as chimps and that is uh, was only more recently discovered, so the chimp science kind of made its way in, and chimps tend to be violent. He talks a little bit about Jane Goodall and rock and roll and um, orgasms and um, penises and 
a bunch of fun stuff. So I don't know. How's that for a little couple of minutes? My, I think what, what struck me first when I was reading this book is that I had always understood this um, book to be a sort of demolishing of monogamy. But I was surprised. I don't know if I would put it that simply. I think yeah, yeah. what he did more importantly um, was demolish what what many people call our standard narrative of human sexuality. Yes, yeah. Which I thought was vastly more fascinating than just this idea of being like, monogamy's wrong. Right. Because um, that's not what he did. Um, I think I had like found myself when I would talk about this book throughout the month of reading it, mm. is people would be like, oh, isn't this like the book that says monogamy is not real? I was mm. like, no, actually, it's a book that's like redefining it just our complicates old Victorian the Victorian era yeah. of human sexuality that's based on almost no evidence. Right. In fact, we have a pretty like eclectic and varied history of, of human sexuality that is far longer than what we think of as monogamous parent. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the correction with that. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Just because I, 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 it scares, I, I think he just lays out a much more fascinating idea than just being like, monogamy's like wrong, we shall fuck everybody. And, sure. and to be fair, he doesn't really say that until the end. Yeah. Right. You know, he kind of, uh, it's kind of the, the, the message looming in the background. Right. Uh, yeah, he's kind of mum about it until the very end. <laughs> I also think it's important with this type of work because psychology, especially evolutionary psychology um, and anthropology, is always tricky, right? Uh, those commonly have been used negatively in recent human history, and by that I mean like the past couple hundred years, like phrenology, um, the ideas of like slavery and, and classism and racism has mm. always kind of been propped up by like evolutionary psychologists yes. incorrectly um so but and I'm not, I'm not saying this is like this happens here but with anything this book was written in 2007 mm. which is at this point like over a decade ago yeah yeah i just think it's fascinating because you you were right when they, he talks a lot about bonobos and when i've taken i've taken several anthropology classes um mm. recently for college and a huge part of our curriculum as far as like understanding early hominids is studying bonobos no no kidding so that that idea has definitely changed because I think he he is really and he's probably right in like struggling against a a an idea of which we only exclusively study chimpanzees as far mm-hmm. as like looking at early hominid behavior through our closest relative and ignoring bonobos. But I think mm-hmm. that's largely not true anymore. Right, right. I think so. We why, do, let's talk about why bonobos are important because they're another for people who don't know they're another species. Um, of, ape. of apes, yeah, they're 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 a larger, um, the larger ape, um, which include chimpanzees, gorillas, gibbons, which is like a lesser ape, and then us and chimpanzees. If I'm not sure if I, said. and they also live in like the Congo basin, um, Congo River basin, and they they essentially, what 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 did he say? Bonobos, chimpanzees, and humans kind of split off. Roughly the same time on our evolutionary track. Yes. We all have a common ancestor. Because that, that's huge to remember, I think, when it th- when we think of evolution. I think yeah. a common thing I hear repeatedly is that, like, we evolved from apes, mm-hmm. which is, like, goes against evolutionary science. Like, evolution doesn't work. Like, nothing alive today has evolved from anything else. Mm. That, that means to say, like, our ancestors aren't alive today. That's not how evolution works. Mm-hmm. 
um, like we didn't evolve from chimpanzees. Chimpanzees and humans evolved from a common ancestor. Right. Which is like a right. whole separate species that we're incapable of fathoming. Mm. Right. It wasn't like humans just branched off from chimpanzees. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we you we know. emerged alongside them, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is pretty fascinating. But yeah, he starts out the book talking about this, right? Uh, the mm-hmm. introduction is called Another Well-Intentioned Inqui- Inquisition. Right. Um, and he opens up just by saying, uh, forget what you've heard about human beings having descended from the apes. We didn't descend from apes. We are apes. And then he goes on to say why. Um, something that I thought was really fascinating about this, of course, in the introduction, he kind of just gives a whole sprawling or like kind of a quick like Reader's Digest version of what happens in the book. And he right. brings up porn, um, which has always been kind of fascinating to me because mm-hmm. it seems like it's so huge and nobody really talks about it that much. Pornography? Yeah. Um, yeah. He says worldwide pornography is, or they say pornography is reported to take to rake in anywhere from fifty-seven billion to a hundred billion dollars annually in the United States. It generates more revenue than CBS, NBC, and ABC combined, and more than all professional football, baseball, and baseball, bas- baseball and basketball franchises. And, oh, and it's to add to that, really quickly, I yeah. think porn was one of the first like things that happened with the internet like i think like, it was when the it internet was, was invented it so was people were trying to figure out how to send porn. larger files try how to send <laughs> right, pictures right, of, right, of right. naked women or naked things or what i like too is a um if anybody remembers vhs there was like a concurrent form of technology called beta what is it um betamax oh. which was like similar to vhs's though it was a little bit larger um and uh, I don't remember this. I'm too young, but I do. I remember VHSs. But I remember learning that uh, why VHSs kind of reign supreme is because Betamax, as a company, chose to not allow porn to be produced on their technology. Oh, really? And VHS did. Huh. And uh, that uh, there obviously you go. Is consumers going to choose the one that allows them to <laughs> produce uh, pornography. Yeah. Hell I was yeah. even seeing somewhere today, and I know that like I wasn't able to verify any of the numbers. It's it's too hard to, but I, I've heard this number thrown out a couple of times. It's either thirty percent of all images on the internet are pornography, yeah, or what I also hear concurrence with that is that thirty percent of the bandwidth used globally is for pornography. Yeah, yeah. Those numbers get thrown around, and I don't. I haven't seen any verification on them. I've heard uh, I, that like there are a hundred porn episodes or a ep, uh, hundred porn websites for every non-porn website or something <laughs> like that. It's it's wild, and again, it's funny to think of because 2007 is kind of a long time ago. That's yeah, 12 yeah. years ago, and so a lot has changed since then. I had I kept having to like remind myself of that, especially mm. with how fast our technology has changed. Does seem to be occurring at like a faster and faster rate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I right. in fact I think now there's even like an algorithm for that. Yeah, yeah right. Fuck yeah. I'm sure it's huge or yeah. Or think about it, like I think YouTube came out in two thousand and seven. Did it No, I think what? It was yeah. No. No, because two thousand and seven was like high school for us and it was already out. Sophomore year, baby. Two thousand and five. Yeah. Glory no, wait. years, Dan. Yeah, All right. Bronx. Two, let me reel it in. Five. Here. Porn. What else? Yeah. Anything else about porn? When was porn invented? <laughs> well, porn. I don't want. I don't want 
people that think that porn is a huge part of this book because it's not. No, it no. It is not like that. But it does play it. into a cultural thing that we have, especially in America, or like you hear about how uh, Utah has the highest porn use or something. <laughs> <laughs> Utah. So there's like a great complex with it, you know. Well, something that is different now than, than then when he wrote it is is now we acknowledge that porn, pornography addiction is a real thing. Mm. And we've and we've found that um, not we isn't like I'm studying this as well, but I think <laughs> there has been research done on um, kids, especially young men who are suffering from ED mm. and other forms of like um, uh, sexual, I don't know, incompetencies because of <laughs> their addiction to pornography. Yeah, yeah. So you're having like 16, 17, 18 year old boys who like can't, can't get it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, it's a thing, and he kind of just points to it as a way to say, like, hey, there's this whole... Oh, he says there's no denying that we're, uh, we're a species with a sweet tooth for sex. Right, right. That, that's Because that, I think that's a fascinating point. I think we forget that, because yeah. we are in, live in such a sexualized age in, in this new West. You know, I feel like hookup culture is a really big thing. You know, obviously, like, it's, like, common... It's, like, very common to just talk about, like, hookup apps yeah. and stuff you know like i feel like sexuality is pretty open but i i also don't think it's open enough mm-hmm. and it is like easy to forget that we as humans are like naturally super sexual beings hypersexual right he talks about bonobos yeah. i think there's one example and that's when bonobos get brought up to like help describe us right right, right. he said and because he talks about how bonobos solve problems right if there's one tribe um I forget where exactly this is, but if if there's one neighboring uh, bonobo group that comes in contact with another one, they'll usually just, like, solve the run-in by just hanging out together and sometimes fucking or um, grooming each other. Whereas, yeah. like, chimps more often are violent with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a whole interesting discussion about chimps and our... Uh, observations of them part of what i really like about this book is how it goes and it basically does a lot of like philosophy of science i think in some ways Mm -hmm. where it says like hey we have all this scientific evidence but where did it come from and how does that affect how we interact with it and how our scientific and uh or our information base can observe new things right Mm -hmm. like the common example is with um like primate observation. A lot of people turn to primates to see how our nature is, right? That's kind of the idea here. And so they'll watch and male observers will notice like more male attributes about like competition or fighting or violence. And female observers are more likely to observe like instances of cooperation and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, And it, this is another interesting point. I was just talking to somebody about how, um, like, there wasn't a comprehensive study of the clitoris until 2005. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the <laughs> stuff about the clitoris in this book is absolutely hilarious. Yeah, and, yeah. And not, not like in like a little boy's way. Like, like no, it it's like what the baffling. fuck? Yeah, yeah, like this guy, right? It had the uh, medical guy who was doing an anatomy study. He's like, there seems to be a strange protuberance between, like, the legs. And, like, I've discovered something. And it's like, dude, 
that's been there for like <laughs> hundreds of thousands of years. And it's it was actually it's also a great joke. <laughs> um, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but yeah. I, I remember he like in the time of the like witch trials, mm. uh, women with bigger clits they called it like the devil's teat, right, mm. or something like that. So they ended up burning women at the stake with giant clits. Mm. Well, I mean, yeah. Speaking of clits, because we do, he talks about clitorectomies mm-hmm. in this book. And according in, in two thousand and seven, what 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 did it say? The World Health Organization said that anywhere from uh, like one hundred and twenty seven million women had undergone a clitorectomy or some form of like vaginal mutilation. Yeah, yeah, not pretty. Which, and then there's the whole stuff about masturbation and uh, cir- uh, even circumcision as a way to um, to keep us from masturbating. Which is interesting. Right, that because part of him Kellogg. talking about it, <laughs> right? W- Kellogg and Graham, the guy who invented Graham crackers, yeah. and Kellogg invented the cornflakes. Corn Bland cereal meant to keep you from masturbating. You want to yes, because sugar down. would make you want to just beat off, like like the bonobos with fruit, just fucking <laughs> eat. Reese's puffs do something to me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's so funny to think back on. Again, just because like I, I am inherently fascinated by chimpanzees and bonobos. I'm constantly talking about bonobos, mm. I feel like. Because they also, one of the things they do, um, they do what's called GG rubbing, genital to genital yeah. rubbing. Where it's not necessarily sex, but it is a highly specialized form of like communication and like uh, oh. like a like a compassionate move. And it happens mm. from like females to females or males to male. They're like openly homosexual and heterosexual in these yeah. like gg rubbings and it's just a like indication of like the closeness you have to other members of your group yeah and i love that because it's just so interesting to think of if we had anything similar or if it was just like if rather than like a nux or like a chest bump like when we meet up just after like being gone for a while we just whipped out our dicks and just like mashed them together real quick <laughs> what's up buddy Hey, dude. <laughs> it's been a minute. Wait, hey, you smell weird. Is everything you guys, cool? You guys don't do that already? <laughs> We're not in Oregon, man. We're not in liberal, freaking hippie, nanny state right, Oregon. Right, We're not, right, right. You guys are in Track City. <laughs> track We're not city, neglecting track, our vaccines and rubbing our privates together. Well, you yeah, guys just, what you the guys fuck are you guys doing over there? Hey, easy, easy. We're pretty progressive out here, guys. So fuck you. Start vaccinating your kids, guys. <laughs> Please. Yeah, please. All right, let me bring together. us back. Let me bring us back yeah. here. I mean, I'm not going to. That's just because I can't afford that shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> um, so he actually, it's interesting because in this book, he outlines kind of uh, what I've called the relationship escalator. I referenced it last episode even, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, um, he did. And it's it's... The standard narrative. We should read that first, actually. Readers acquainted with the recent literature on human sexuality. This is uh, page seven, by the way. Um, Readers acquainted with the recent uh, literature on human sexuality will be familiar with what we call the standard narrative of human sexual evolution. Hereafter, shortened to, quote, the standard narrative. It goes something like this. Boy meets girl. Oh, that's one. Two, boy and girl assess one another's mate value from perspectives based upon their differing reproductive agendas slash capacities. Bullet, he looks for signs of youth, fertility, health, absence of previous sexual experience, and likelihood of future sexual fidelity. In other words, his assessment is skewed toward finding a fertile, healthy young mate with many childbearing years ahead and no current children to drain his resources. She looks for signs of wealth, or at least 
prospects of future wealth, social status, physical health, and likelihood that he will stick around to protect and provide for, for his children. Her guy must be willing and able to provide material, materially for her, especially during pregnancy and breastfeeding, and their children, known as male parental investment. So this is kind of setting up what they're looking to kind of demolish. Um, well, it's it's something to remember. They're like remind listeners too that, like when you first hear that, it sounds so clinical. But if you step back, it is like it is what we've been corn fed since yeah. the very beginning. You it's know, in, in Disney in movies and, and yeah, it, it's it's what people always constantly refer to. Like oh, you know, males are just looking for young, healthy virgins. And women are looking for men to have children with that they that they know can provide for them. Yeah, housing, yep, yep. clothes, food. Yeah, this this is in every love song and every movie and uh, most of all books. Yeah, books and even yeah and and when you think of like what our ancestors like that's just like the most common thing you say. Like mm-hmm. when you think of early humans coming together, you're like, well, that's just how it is. People are just well. So the last one point. So I did point one. Boy meets girl. Point two. Boy and girl assess one another's mate value. And three. Boy gets girl. Assuming they meet one another's criteria, they mate, forming a long-term pair bond. The fundamental condition of the human species, as famed author Desmond Morris put it. And there's a little more, but I'll leave it. Well, because then he also talks some about like what they call like the Flintstoneizing. Yes. Of are human we... sexuality, which is this idea of like men Let's clubbing pick. women, dragging them to the cave. Right. Well, and yada, that's yada, yada. something we see, right? Um, and with the philosophy of science thing, one of the questions you ask is like, who did this research and what baggage did they have that they might yes. have brought with the research? Mm-hmm. And we see this, right? He brings up uh, fucking Darwin. Darwin. Yep. And talks about how Darwin... Darwin uh, was a prude. Darwin was a fucking <laughs> Victorian prude. Yeah. Big surprise. And so, well, also, why they brought up Darwin is because they're able to attribute uh, the, our first inklings of teaching or understanding this idea of the standard human narrative yeah. of sexuality back to the early 1900s when the ideas of evolution were just beginning. Yep. Just to give context why he's going to Darwin and a couple of the others who helped formulate our concept <clears throat> of evolution, though correct and revolutionary in that regards, they also helped foster some pretty... Um, idiotic ideas of of human sexuality because of their Victorian era prudishness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and he also stated that there was a lot unknown about prehistory, like more primitive times at that point in history compared to what we know more today. Truth truth be told, like, we still don't know that much, man. I mean, that's what's always tricky about, like... I, at least for me, I always take a grain of salt whenever I'm reading a book that's trying to posit how early hominids were like, because yeah. there's no records of that. Not like the how we used to like how we mated or bonded or related to each other. It it doesn't. It's not. They don't get well. And they say that right. They say we're not. We have a limited set of evidence to work with, and we have to kind of triangulate based on evolutionary evidence in our own bodies, and then also comparing it to similar animals. Similar species close to us, like chimps and bonobos, and then yeah. also other tribes still um, active across the globe that is closely similar to what we imagine our early ancestors uh, would have lived like. Or might have been, right? That's part of the game here is Could that, have. like, right, part of the whole structure, I was thinking about kind of the tyranny of the structure of the um, standard narrative, 
which is that it's just not tolerant of anything outside of it to some extent. Right. It just makes it into a witch to be burned. Um, so part of what I, I feel like Chris Ryan and um, Casilda Jethler are doing here is just saying like, hey, we're not trying to say anything about this. We're saying that humans are already, modern humans are already making huge assumptions about our past that have no base. Right. And that actually, if you look at it, it seems to go the other way. So maybe we should also think about that. Right. But part of it is just opening it up to say like, is there another way to do this? Totally. Right. Or another way to think about this at all. I was really surprised at how scientific this book was. Like yeah. very, very, based in, like, what kind of observable scientific fact that they could actually, like, yeah, yeah. record and talk about. And I think that was uh, really kind of refreshing. Because, it, it, like, they had their opinions about it, obviously, and it built, built to the theme of what, you know, Christopher Ryan was getting at, but I felt like it was very <coughs> objective in a lot of the things he was feeding us with, like, studies on apes and human uh, behavior mm-hmm. over centuries. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they even had really smart little bombs. Like, I th- I saw him setting up bombs on these pillars, sort of. Um, like, where they would just do really deep research into, like, one time it, toward the end, kind of, they were talking about somebody who had used research um, to support a monogamous or pair bond worldview, but they had cited somebody... <laughs> for some of their important evidence who was actually more of the view that humans are non-monogamous. So like, even if you go into the science, you'll see people just like, uh, sort of jerry rigging these arguments together that don't actually hang. So there's just inconsistencies everywhere, basically. And, um, I don't know. What did you guys think of this? Like, I kind of want to go back to that. A little bit more, like just initial stuff. I really want to hear from it... Cooper and Eric because you guys are in the family way. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to hear how you men took this attack on family <laughs> Honestly, and <I> mean... our <laughs> values. There we go. Well, uh, first of all, I drew a bath. <laughs> lit some candles. You, just you found your clitoris. Drew a couple of <laughs> yeah, pentagrams. Yeah. Ooh, some pentagrams. Uh, some so I, I thought it, I actually enjoyed it a lot. I listened to it on audiobook because I, I didn't have enough time to like sit and read this one. It was pretty long, and I actually enjoyed. It. I enjoyed listening to it on audiobook. It was uh, like this kind of material. I think is really enjoyable to listen to through headphones, like while yeah. driving or doing, you know, housework or whatever. So yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it though, because I felt like I was saying it was very scientific and, or trying to be scientific in the way it went about explaining facts or like mm-hmm. these different things that they've researched. Uh, despite you were saying there's some inconsistencies, Phil, right. Mm-hmm. But I thought that for me, I, understood from the beginning what his opinion was about this stuff so it didn't bother me to read through Mm. and kind of like i don't know i feel like you know we all live on a spectrum of Mm -hmm. different likes and tastes you know no matter what we're talking about so you know at this point in human history we have the ability to choose to do more than we ever could yeah so you know you know i enjoyed reading about other opinions Mm mm-hmm 
Did you that? Did it challenge your shit or? I mean, definitely. Like, I mean, I didn't know about a lot of like the the like the traits between bonobos and chimpanzees and humans, and mm-hmm. like like uh, observing their na- the na- the way that. Huh, sorry, I'm high. Uh, the way <laughs> yeah. that uh, they behave in their societies and how yeah. a seemingly more primitive ape, you know, conducts its sexual business or the way that they, uh, mm-hmm. their groups, like, develop social contracts based around sex and stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I felt like it challenged me a little bit, but it wasn't as, uh, it didn't necessarily... Shift my perspective majorly about anything. Yeah, but I don't know. Coop, that's interesting that you said choice because I I feel the same way and and even before coming to this book I I have, um, I have taken the time before to evaluate what it is exactly that I want in a mm-hmm. relationship and what do I and what I think is important in a relationship. Yeah, um, like I I. <laughs> Not for, like, lack of trying or desire for ease, but I've never thought of my relationships as, like, wanting it to adhere to what I think of as, like, normal human evolution. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that's part of what this book is, is addressing, is people like that. Like, I've never been like, well, I'm monogamous because that's how humans have evolved. Mm. Um, I've always sort of looked at it as a choice, mm. and, and recently... Um, with the partner I have now, it, it is just the the easiest, most fun choice I could make. Um, it's really made me think of like just projecting to foreseeing potential problems, right? Because that's what he illustrates, mm-hmm. or they illustrate constantly in the book is this idea. You know, if if I am to say that they are attacking monogamy in any way, it is just sort of applying the knowledge we have now and also looking at our current state of relationships and being like, well, we can easily look at a lot of problems that mm. most Western couples have and then attribute them to evolutionary basis. It makes sense. Which, yeah. yeah, right. It makes sense if we've evolved to be this certain way and now we're trying to fit in these boxes. Right. So all the problems kind of now make sense. Right. So in that regards, it made me think ahead and just try to ad- and, and think of how I could be a better partner um, and to address those early on. And cool. I, I think a huge part of any relationship uh, is communication. And obviously that is not original, and I'm not the first one to say that. No, but this but... this book especially made it true where I was like, oh, that's very fascinating. If I'm going to take what they're positing in this book to be true. I'm not saying that I do, but if I am to, then what I'm going to take away from it, if I'm going to continue to be monogamous, is that I just need to be as open and honest with my partner as I can in yeah, order yeah. To, to make it easier. And so that's, that's where I came away, and I'd, I'd come into it that way, and um, I, I certainly learned from this book. I'm not saying I didn't, but mm. I'd, al- I'd already looked at monogamy as a choice that, I, that me and my partner actively make if that's what we want to do. And we should right, talk right. about it constantly. I think that's hugely important. This is just to not assume um, yeah. the status of relationship because of anything other than choices that you two are making, mm-hmm. or you three or four or whoever. Yeah, yeah. Six. Cause the idea of like basing anything on our human evolution just feels so dangerous to me. I don't know why I can't shake that, but like some of the worst people and the worst atrocities of history have been used 
and like that's been the excuse for them to happen, right? And so sure. I always am like careful of when people are like, "Well, I do this because evolutionarily that's what we've always done." And I'm like, "Oh, pump the brakes! I've heard this argument before in terrible ways." I have a similar <laughs> like, reaction because of the implications with our nature, right? Like this is all revolving around discussions about our nature, which makes me uncomfortable in general. That makes me uncomfortable too, but I think it's just what more what makes me more uncomfortable. I love finding out some universal truths of human nature. What yeah. scares me is when I hear the word evolution used to describe or excuse behavior is because yeah. that commonly has been used negatively. Eugenics, like and used, shit. yeah, like used intentionally wrong. I'm not you guys saying, like, just fear the natural superiority of the white man. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! Wow. Okay, guys. We just okay. got joking. That's a fucking joke. It's a no, joke. That's a I know. Good joke. I like. Well, but dude, I mean, it's hey, hey, that, one more of those, and, and you're out of here, bud. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I, mean, <laughs> I know. But you you brought up you brought up like the the leading um, the leading um, perpetrators of this argument. Are these new white nationalists right? They're not white supremacists anymore. Mm. They're they're not arguing for supremacy. They're arguing for ethnostates and all these mm. like very scientific, evolutionarily based words. Word that always scare me. Right, the idea that you can use evolution to excuse your abhorrent behavior always going to make me worry when I hear other people using evolution as an excuse for behavior. Sure, but again, there's a big extent to which we're already using evolution to justify this fucking whack situation we're in. Mm-hmm. Right. Part of this is the idea totally. that evolution is um, infinite progress, essentially. Right. Um, people I, have the idea that to evolve. That's the wrong idea of it. I think progress is the wrong word there. I think if, I think evolution is just infinite change. Well, that's yes. the idea, but right, most people right. think of it as like we become more evolved. Like think of a company like talking about like we will evolve and adapt. And, oh, right, right. And they're talking about like advancing and becoming this like fancy new creature to evolve. But that's oh, not yeah. really how like evolution it's works. It's pretty sloppy, right? It's sloppy as fuck, and it's just kind of whatever works, and then some whack shit happens in reproduction, and that works a little better on accident, and then like mm-hmm. shit in the environment changes, and then like those adaptations are no longer um, like advantageous. So right, it's right. a constant exchange of um, living beings with their surroundings, and uh, according to mutations on their genetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all accidental, um, yeah, and it's not really getting better per se, because those those circumstances could change any time, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're not the top well, of yeah, the food chain there, anymore. There's no valuations like good or bad when it comes to evolution. Right. It's just a process it of just, change. Yeah, it just happens. It's not better or worse, right? Yeah, we're it, not we're not somehow striving or or going towards anything better. Right. We are. But so part of this is right the idea that right now we are at the best point in human history you hear that a lot people say like we're doing more than ever before and we have these amazing this amazing technology and all this stuff um but also if you zoom out like every ted talk every Uh, every (laughs) (laughs) it just feels it just feels like pangloss from voltaire right like this is the best possible time because it is yeah 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 Exactly. And that, that ends up being the argument, right? Like, it's all just cir- like circular arguing where right. they say this is in our, like, we are this way because it's in our nature and we are in this, in our, that's in our nature because we are this way and it just becomes. Um, well, it, to, to go on that and to go back to the book, that's yeah. a, that's a fantastic way, like reminder 
that that is exactly how we view like that's the lens we use to view history is yeah. from today's point because he uses that to contend and I'm so glad I was able to read an argument that broke these two down because I mm. still feel like in 2019 I hear these two names and they're somehow given like valid scientific credence and it annoys the fuck out of me mm. and that's Thomas Malthus and Thomas Hobbes. I'm yes. so glad he was able to tear those two down fuck for Hobbes. just like the incorrect evolutionary psychologists and and economists that they were. You know, and a big part of breaking down their argument was saying, listen, how they described the human past was exactly what they were experiencing in their world today. You know, Thomas Hobbes was living in the first, like, the first industrial revolution in England. Of course it was crowded. It was and the French Revolution. And stinky. Yeah, like, it was a terrible time. So he used that to then just look at the past and, and just Projected. invented what he wanted. Yeah, yeah. And same totally. with Thomas Malthus, right? Like, just invented his own form of math to describe the situation he saw around him based on nothing that was at all meaningful, absolute in the so natural world. Of, what is it, Mathis? Mouth? How do you say it? Thomas Malthus, yeah. He's Malthus? A, a, was this the one that was about, like, uh, agriculture? Like, how yeah. we can only add a, by arithmetic to our agriculture and our population multiplies by, like, exponential... Right, and exponential just, linear growth. Poverty, poverty is a natural extension of population and civilization. And, and he was yeah, a huge right. believer in like there's nothing we could do about it. It is just like it yeah, justifies it, is, it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So there's a bunch of shit, but Hobbesian worldview seems to be in a lot of our stuff, right? Like if you look at how we think about everything, it's there pretty well, much. It's just it's just the postmodernist sad boys like masturbatory like pleasure dome it feels like every postmodernist like dude we've read seems to relish in this idea that human history and what we're doomed for is is Hobbesian's famous quote or Thomas mm. Hobbes's famous quote which is humans are nothing but like nasty brutish poor and sh- like with short lives mm-hmm. and it feels like that is just like the postmodernist answer to mm this idea that there is no meaning in this world and isn't it fun if we imagine that we're in the most terrible possible mm. you know version of everything right oh that's interesting cooper i hadn't really thought about that i i love reading it but i also like have to acknowledge that it is just emo boys grown old and then giving a platform <laughs> right right well and it's interesting because they end up uh just reinforcing the whole attitude Right, or just been like, oh, well. oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so let's see. I kind of want to return to the book a little bit more materially here. It's kind of nice. It's interesting with uh, reading a nonfiction book because it's sort of laid out in a way that's supposed to be understandable, and so there's this nice table of contents I can just kind of look at. Yeah, because yeah, he's, he's crafting useful. his argument, and having to give like evidence and counter other arguments. I, I will say right off the bat. Or however long we're in this podcast, how how long are you able to say right off the bat? When's like the statue of limitations on saying right off the bat? I don't know. We'll have to look that up. But this is a, this is a super comprehensible and easily read book, which is mm-hmm. I will always like applaud for something that is dealing with science. Right? I I I don't think I'm like assuming here by saying the general population is not necessarily big on reading scientific texts, like nonfiction mm. science-based texts. Um, I'd like to see that like change in the future, but I just don't think most people reach for this. 
totally. uh, when it comes to like what they want to read, if when they get the time to read, you know. Mm-hmm. But I thought if, it was kind of refreshing based on like our current totally. last few selections. Yeah, it's, it's like such a switch up. Um, I really yeah. wanted to talk. Oh, go ahead, Dan. Oh no, I was just gonna say I think it was very well written. Like, yeah. Soup, yeah. Like you guys said, a lot, a lot of stuff that's you know written about science, even if it's just popular science, it, it's you know there's not really a lot of humor involved. It's a lot right. of terminology. It, it's written for a specific audience in mind, and this was for the lay reader. I mean, pretty pretty wonderfully written, super yeah. accessible, it, and also and accessible, the, entertaining, funny. Yeah, totally. And assumed a level of an intelligence for the reader that is, like, refreshing. When you read a lot of these books, it almost is... It, it feels like you truly are the layperson. And mm. this, like, right. philosopher king is stepping down to, like, <laughs> bequeath you with knowledge. Mm. Thank you, king. Let me yeah. put it into terms you can understand, citizen. <laughs> yes, exactly. Whereas this book didn't feel like feel it had like that, that tone. No. It, it had, like, a very inviting and, like, easy Chatty. flow to it. Yeah. Like, hey yeah. there, brother. He, he's like that too. He's just kind of a like hey there, old hippie brother. bro. Hey there, brother. <laughs> he's just like uh Yeah, it reminded me of Hulk Hogan. Hey there, brother. You ever seen bonobos rub their genitals together? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. My, my mom said I can't watch YouTube after nine. Um <laughs> uh, I wanted to talk really fast about Darwin and where he came from. It is said that Darwin's mother, I think, used to go around the property and gather up these uh, mushrooms that looked like penises. Yeah. <laughs> and would, like, very secretively burn them in the basement. Was it his mother or just... What? Or his grandmother? It was one of the two. Um, so he was just, like, raised in that sort of place where... And it's also really funny to think about, like, this woman sort of getting off on dealing with all these penis-shaped things and then burn. <laughs> like, mm, yes, burn. Mm, yes, burn. <laughs> well, just the idea that, like, they, he would see that penis-shaped mushroom and, like, it just would cause him to, like, implode. <laughs> oh, I, fa- I found it, Phil. I actually found the passage. Oh, oh you did good. I was looking for it. It's his it? uh, eldest daughter. She's the one uh, who's recounting it. Isn't it? Hold on. No, no, no. It was talking about her. Yeah, uh, she did do that stuff, but it also said, uh, Eddie's prim enthusiasm for stamping out anything sexual wasn't limited to the written word. She waged a bizarre little war against the so-called stinkhorn mushroom. Stinkhorn. That still pops up in the woods around the Darwin estate. Apparently, the similarity of the mushroom to the human penis was a bit much for poor Eddie. As her niece recalled years later, Aunt Eddie armed with a basket and a pointed stick and wearing a special hunting cloak and gloves, would set out in search of the mushrooms. At the end of the day, Aunt Eddie burned them in the deepest secrecy on the drawing room fire with the door locked because of the morals of the maids. (laughs) (laughs) The maids shan't see my harvest. (laughs) Well, we we also must remember when it comes to Darwin, Darwin and sexuality... That he married his first cousin, who I believe was like thirteen. Oh, yeah. Um, right. And oh, yeah. That's a bit disturbing, right? Of, like he was one of those guys. He was one of those guys, exactly. We have very You're a Woody Allen type. A Woody yeah, Allen yeah, yeah. type. I didn't want to say it, but you know, <laughs> yeah. it's out of the bag now. Uh. 
Yeah, 13. Yeah, that's weird. Let's um, talk about the sexual differences between apes. Okay, yeah. Dan, you want to do it? Lead us off. Oh, I, oh I, I, I just had the picture in my book where it, it compares the different penis size. Of well, just, just to give context, too. So a big part of the argument in saying why we are, in fact, um, are polygynous when it comes to or sexuality based on our evolutionary body. Is, yes, promiscuous is the word they use. Is in that, a neutral sense? Yeah, not right. like a... Not in the cont- uh, contemporary it's sense slutty. that we would know, just in a in a um, super well, neutral like if, scientific term. If you look term. at the different, if you look at the average height and average penis size of different apes, and if you look at their sexual behaviors, you see a lot of uh, uh, correlations. Right? Well, not not I, just course, not just that, but also how we compete and how we think of procreation or how we yes. do sexual uh, procreation because, like. Gorillas aren't right. the gorillas aren't monogamous, but what they do practice is a form of competition in which their physicality wins them their mates, whereas the men win the females or the males. Well, right, and they they live in harem society. And what I love is that uh, they talk about historically through science. Uh, poly, I'm sorry, uh, polyamory was never considered, but male male science Western male scientists thought, oh, maybe we're polygynous, maybe. Right. Maybe we have a har- harem society is, is how we're supposed to live. And it's like, that's such a male-oriented way of looking oh, totally. at it, right? Because, uh, what, like, gorillas are polygynous where it's a harem society, one male, right. many females. Right. And, yeah, you said, like, they, they have to compete a lot. So, like, their their physical bulk is huge. Over, like, 500 pounds. Right. And they the have little, very, little balls. very, very small. One it is one Very inch, one erect, one inch, one erect, yeah. and their testicles are the size of kidney beans, and are con- and are kept inside of them at all times. And uh, what is it? Gibbons are the only one of the only mon- like truly monogamous mammals, mm-hmm. but uh, the only monogamous, truly monogamous ape. And they are the males and the females are the same size. So for let's go back to gorillas. For gorillas, the males are much bigger. Yeah, they have two the to three times larger. Right. Yeah, yeah, and a tiny mm-hmm. penis. The gibbons, they're the exact same height, the males and the females, and mm-hmm. the penises are like mm-hmm. negligible, basically. Right. And mm-hmm. I really want to go back to that chart. I, I, I lost it, but what's well, the best uh, anyway, chart? You should find it. Uh, what was it? Uh, chimps. Chimps. I know the boys are bigger than the girls, and they have a pretty big penis. Oh, here you go. It's a uh, two. 24 because just just to specify uh. the, just to specify the argument here is that we are not competing on physicality we're actually waging a on a sperm level Sexual microscopic war. yeah our sperm is what is competing for to pass on our genes for um right um what's it not finesse um What's what's the evolutionary term? Anyways, to to pass on our genes. So so their argument here is that mm-hmm. um, humans like bonobos and like apes practice promiscuity, and we can tell that because of our female to male body sizes, as well as Ooh. the evolutionary growth and development of the male penis and the female vagina, and how it in the testicles and, and how it shows that it is in fact our sperm. That is doing the competition and not us physically, which 
Right. Because we've developed big yeah. balls, and uh, Bonobos developed right. even bigger balls, and chimps yeah, they too, do. I, I think. I can see on the chart. <laughs> right. Big balls. <laughs> um, big balls. So the idea there is that we've put our evolutionary energy into making... I've heard test like testicular or genital tissue as uh, described as like expensive to produce on an evolutionary uh, in an evolutionary mm-hmm. sense. So instead of developing big bodies evolutionarily, we've developed big balls and big dicks, and that's because that's where our main game comes in. The gorilla just fights, doesn't have to worry about um, anybody else's sperm right. getting in there. So he just like puts his tiny little tic tac dick in there, and then it's good. Because I thought um, what was fascinating, so yeah, so our, our testicles are larger in order to produce more millions of individual sperm, if not getting close to like billions of sperm. Um, and mm-hmm. also, they, they've done some studies and they found, uh, right, they say on average, we're going to get super uh, sexy on a, a biological level, but they say an average man spurts yeah. semen like five to six times. And they've done these studies where they found the first spurt of semen has these, the the sperm themselves have these antibodies that like neutralize the vaginal cana- oh, cavity. Sperm. And, and, well, that's the the last no. the last spurt is oh, then. Oh right, 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 right. Then they have these antigens that then yeah neutralize other male sperm that's also in there. So it's this fascinating really? like army. The sperm change? Yeah, there's there's different, like, pHs of our sperm and, like, different sperm that have different, I think, like, proteins and amino acids that are, that do certain things within the vaginal canal in order to, like, help our other little swimmers along. And also the female Wait. vagina also has mm-hmm. these mechanisms. They, they've even done some studies that have found that a, a woman's anatomy is able to, to a certain degree, choose based on microscopic, like, markers within the like organ mm-hmm. orgasm that produces all these different hormones and according to like the markers on the sperm like right who immunology she chooses right? to fertilize like the egg and who doesn't right they've they talk about that a little bit so like both the male that was penis fascinating. <laughs> both the male penis and the female vagina are like cooperating on this really weird strange level that we can like note mm-hmm. in 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 like record whereas like our bodies are pretty much like physically the same right males are typically a little bit bigger mm. but we're not like fighting for dominance with other males it is like mm-hmm. being You're chosen not. on this very strange <laughs> micro sexual i am You're bro i'm Dan. always looking to fucking right. deck somebody right um yeah yeah so penises that's always yep. fun well and also the shape like another thing that points to the promiscuity of human beings was yeah, so we have the different types of sperm that do different things in the vagina, and the vagina can choose. And another thing was just the shape of the human penis is apparently... Ex- apparently oh, this is debunked, said, though. Well, the shape of the penis is apparently really... Un- human penis is pretty unique. And um, yeah. one, one party says, I don't know if this is the part that was debunked, but... Um, yeah. If... if if they're right, the hum- early humans are having a lot of sex with each other, like very promiscuous sex, it would make sense that um, what they talk about, with the, the, the human penis actually is good at sucking out other men's sperm. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah it's head. a suction. I think that's... Uh, Memo was just telling me, Dan, that that's really? not true. Or that some scientists come out that that's not so Okay. True, Were you able to find anything? It, it kind of makes sense. No, I didn't follow yeah. up. Okay. <clears throat> 
Have you done any of your um, own personal research? <laughs> um, I just like to squeeze it and see. And just, just see. Like just until your just, knuckles go white and see what happens. <laughs> there, the, the cone. It's the there's the cone. <laughs> it, and then God. the cones. That's interesting because I've actually um, heard that they have done studies. They've like created. Um, like fake penises and fake vaginas in laboratories and have been able yeah, to do yeah. these studies that demonstrate that there is some sort of like vacuum uh, ceiling going on with that. Right. Do you think Memo's um, going through burp, some personal burp, burp. shit? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, okay, so let, I want to go back a little bit because there's a little bit more... F- like f- foundations here from the beginning. One of them is the uh, famously flaccid female mm. libido. Bum, bum, bum. So part of the Victorian. Yeah, yeah. It's no. It's kind of like more like dun dun dun. I'll fuck you. Mine was better. Um, I think it's a little bit like dun dun dun. <laughs> you guys sound like superhero. <laughs> Dan, Dan, what do you got? Oh, Dan, uh, forget. Uh, Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's, it's just Which like a dial tone. We make our own sound effects. <laughs> wow. Uh, so any, the famously flaccid female libido comes Where, from this Victorian oh, worldview. Where'd Jordan go? Oh, he's Jordan's gone, long gone time man. Ago, Dan. He, he just like didn't like what we were departure? saying. No. He said his Bluetooth shit died. He's just having all sorts of New York oh, issues. It sounds like. Shit. Uh, I got you. Hey. Just, just tech. Just tech. Um, <laughs> just some ratchet ass tech shit. Uh, okay, so the famously flaccid female libido is part of this Victorian worldview uh, that holds women to be prudish and um, kind of coy is the term that we use, and you see it even in Disney movies where it's like, mm, no, 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 <laughs> and it's kind of fucked up. I've been thinking about the coy uh, female being a pretty heavy part of a rapey view that we maybe naturally take in this culture, which is that like when a woman says no, what she really means is like try harder. Right. Right. Which is totally fucked, but that seems to be like a a kind of a normal thing. Um, But anyway, this, this is part of right. Like a corset culture in Victorian times where like women were literally bound up like that. And I think that's a good metaphor for kind of how they're treated sexually too. And it turns out that it's infiltrated like our own culture a lot yeah. too. Uh, high heels. Women. Uh, yeah. Men yeah. wearing high heels. <laughs> um, but it's, it's all wrong. It seems like it's all wrong. If you compare us to bonobos um, in bonobo, uh, societies or whatever the fuck you call it, bonobo group. Um, the the females have sex with everybody. They're like really sexual. Uh, interestingly, Chris Ryan talks about how uh, during this book or because of this book, he has women like email him or whatever, and they'll say, "Hey, thanks so much for this book. It changed my life." Blah blah blah. Um, also, I had to stop to masturbate every so often because I felt like really turned on or like. 
really liberated almost. I read which is I read that as like the most fucking like macho shit ever. Where it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like I I like yeah, I like this, publishing that. <laughs> I like this book, but there are some parts where I was like eye roll, dude. Like could you imagine writing Did he say that in could the book? Could you imagine like saying or writing like when I was writing this book, women would write to me all the time saying that they were reading my work <laughs> and would have to. Stop I don't think you would just masturbate. make it up though, because <laughs> of my. Work. I think you would. Grocery store. <laughs> I am the liberator no, of I women. <laughs> I, know, I see where you're coming from, but I think that just speaks to the how cool the, the knowledge is. Actually. Oh, I know, I know. It's 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 one of those crazy things. And he wasn't saying it like it totally does have that, but I don't think that you would say it without like. Good reason. People you know? say insane shit all the time. <laughs> Listen back to all of our episodes of Waste Books. Found on podbean.com. Uh, <laughs> or is it .gov now? I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. No, but um, I don't know. We probably sh- well, Memo was like, do you guys have a girl on that episode? And I was like, no. He's like, you uh, Good, it's good tr- Memo. He's probably it's right. Tr- it's we need truly a- insane, too, to think about this idea of like how long it took for people to recognize female sexuality wanted any, like, they needed to do actual studies and, like, look at bonobos to find out what at any point they could have turned to their yeah. wife and been like, hey, you horny? And she'd be like, yeah, yeah sometimes. Yeah. You're like, tight. Yeah. Proven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Science. Wow, groundbreaking. <laughs> I asked them. Incredible. Because <laughs> it's super, it's super damaging and it, and it, it a lot of, a lot yeah. of the problems in, in, in recent Modern and, and past history is based on this idea that women do not feel the same level of libidiousness that men do. And it's insane. Yeah. It's an insane fact to wrap your mind around that people still believe that. Like, that there is, like, a biological difference in how men and women want sex. It doesn't make sense. Because what it sounds like, if you follow that argument out to its logical conclusion, which is bizarre because there is no logic behind it, but it really comes down to, like, you would then have to believe that men and women are somehow two separate species, like, who are competing with one another in order to, like, get what they want from procreation. And that is a super damaging and harmful idea to go through life because it's just not true. Like, it's insane to think of because we happen to be different sexes where we're somehow separate species. I think it's definitely a lot of cultural right. propaganda based around religiosity. Religion's a huge part. I mean, right. I think there is, I think just weak men fear female sexuality to such a great uh-huh. degree they're willing to create religions that suppress them for it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Right. Create whole nations, nation states to suppress Said this terrifying every thing. religion ever. Yeah. Well, and that's what he points out, right? That's one of my favorite things that he does is just like, hey, we say that like women are supposed to be coy, but we have all these measures to keep them from being like sexual and it doesn't work. And it, he ends up extending that to like humans as a whole to say like people it's been a, against the rules to commit adultery, but people have been risking everything, right? Like a politician that cheats on his wife can risk his whole mm-hmm. career. And it's like it just says like, why would you just do that for no reason? <laughs> like this, it, like this stuff doesn't right. work. Like we've been trying to keep people in these strictures, and they keep like going out, and we keep insisting that we're like naturally monogamous, and wondering like, why are we having such a problem like being monogamous? What's going on with marriage? Um, 
But it's like, hey, if you consider that maybe like for th- most of our evolutionary lifetime, we m- probably didn't exist in a monogamous or a strictly monogamous setting right. anyway. Like maybe f- trying to get every everybody into that system is part of the problem. You're just trying to fit a bunch of square pegs into a round hole and not everybody's fucking round right. hole. I think that's a, I think that's a very good point. And I think, uh, that's something that's even more evident nowadays with, with people being more open to alternative sexualities or at least the beginning yeah, yeah. of it. And I think that's right. really important in, right. in those kind of things that you're talking about, Phil, that maybe some people don't want to be monogamous, Monogamous. Oh, monogamous. I'm sorry. No, you're, you're saying monogamous. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mono- Anyways, menage a trois. Monogamous. I'm Egg glad you said menage a trois because what one thing he talks about toward the end is uh, porn. Right. Can we go back to porn? Um, some of the most common porn, yeah. like, like yeah, a, a lot of Hell people, yeah. right? Like. Monogamy is part of the standard narrative, but if you look at the porn that people watch, typically, it's a lot of it is group sex, and it's not like a bunch of females on one dude. It's a bunch of dudes fucking a girl, right? And cuck, cuckold you know? porn is very, very hot, yeah, or yeah. not very, but very, very big, <laughs> very, very hot right now. I was gonna say very hot right now. Fro- no Freudian shame, slip. Fro- Freudian slip. Freudian slip. no shame, no, no king thing. shaming here, B. No, no, Dan. You do you, baby. You do you. Right. Um, what's funny about porn, too, actually, just regular porn yeah. where it's a couple having sex. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. In the missionary you're, position, you're still staring just, each you're... other in the eyes for the sole purpose of recreation. <laughs> no, but even with that, you're still watching other people have right. sex. You're, you right. know, it's, you're not oh, just watching right, a woman right, there. Right, right, right. Like, there's a man actually there that you're getting off on as he fucks but, a woman. Right. People just like to consume. Whatever, whether it's porn, oh. not porn, food, not food, you know, whatever. A lot of uh, that's insightful. A lot, the, the, a lot the pornography, the pornography arguments that he had towards the end kind of got lost on me because I feel like I could have come up with so many other different cultural explanations for that. Like not saying that I'm at all right or he's at all wrong, but I was I was like having fun with the mental gymnastics of, you know, there's there's like. There's so many other arguments to say why it is popular for men to watch like gangbang scenes, other than like evolution mm. to describe it. Like sure. we could definitely go like dark the darker path of like rape culture and the power play that some men sure. have when they when they see something like no that. Doubt. So that that was a little yeah. le- that was a little bit more far fetched for me when he started to like prescribe our porn viewing pleasure based on how we evolved. And I was like, it's kind of right. crazy to, th- like, I'm listening to an argument in which a guy is saying we are on an, a connected satellite-based, like, information-sharing binary codes on these huge, like, computers made from mined precious metals to watch pornography filmed on, like, X amount of technology, and that's based on how I evolved over 90,000 years. Yeah. It's just hard for me to like wrap my mind around the use of technology when yeah, it comes yeah. to. I evolution. more thought it was just funny, funny reading about what, when he talked about cuckold porn. I could just imagine every monogamous male reading that book, assholes clenching. Just well, I had no, to, I, I absolutely had to stop. not. I had to stop and masturbate. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> and I, afterwards, I, I wrote an email there. to Christopher Ryan saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it felt so freeing. <laughs> giving me, giving him the exact location of where I was reading this book. I, I shared, I shared the link that I just watched. Uh-huh. Guys, this is dead air. This we have four uh, of us. How do we sorry, have sorry. dead air? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. I don't know. I think we all got lost. Because you guys were trying to write a joke for too long. <laughs> sorry, Phil. Apologize. Oh, there's a lot of Vonnegut quotes in here. He has some Vonnegut quotes and some Twain quotes. Yeah. Um those are cool. I really like the one that goes um I think it's like an Oscar Wilde quote or something. Whenever I see a husband, I'm reminded of an orangutan trying to play the violin. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is the, yeah. the quote. Um, and I thought that was, like, illuminating. Uh, you know what I thought were really good parts were the parts about mother, like, the fathers and mothers. And, like, the That's very concept of fatherhood yeah. and mother, being a mother. Right. Uh, so this is something... Go oh, go well, ahead, I was going to say... Uh, it was a very interesting them using different cultures and the way language plays a part in what father or mother means on a biological or just like a cultural term and whether the biological term even matters to some cultures and, you know, anything right. more than just like the reproductive phase. Right. Which goes to just like a larger game that they play throughout which is just to say, hey, we have a lot of cultural baggage in these terms, and we can't apply them across cultures and say that humans are, un- for example, universally monogamous, right. like, or that marriage is a fundamental aspect of human existence. Because if we look at that and we say, okay, what is marriage in India or what is marriage to this hunter-gatherer tribe, it ends up taking all sorts of different forms and kind of just becomes so encompassing that it loses meaning and it no longer, like, holds. Um, or it holds as so, far as we understand them. Right, but not further. Right, exactly. It stops there. It's, it's being reminded that um, these are just cultural ideas. Um, right. and, and what we associate with them is can be unique to our own experience and, and should not be um, applied or um, like prescribed beyond that if there's evidence that it doesn't right. mean that. you know, I thought it was very fascinating when he brought up that several... Um, uh, several tribes whose names escape me don't even have a a language equivalent for virgin. Like they just don't have an understanding of what virginity means, or why it, why it would be important. Right. I mean, they right. don't even like right. understand it. Is it is stupid. Like it's it's the whole concept yeah, that of virginity part... is stupid. It's like okay, the first time I ate beef, right? Did, <laughs> right. did, we, did we have a big ceremony or like is there this big cultural baggage around the first time that that. The, the flesh of a cow touched your lips. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it makes no stupid. sense. Unless seen through the lens of no. our, like, male-dominated Western... Standard narrative. Cult, the standard narrative where, like, a man looks for a woman who's, like, viably, like, viable sexually, who can produce children for longer, and who hasn't had any previous sexual experience. For why, I have no idea. Right. So, let me go back to fathers and mothers, because that ends up uh, kind of bringing up that thing about philosophy of science and just, like, questioning our use of terms and stuff. Um, so, with mother and father, he talks about how before, like, before we had modern science, when there was kind of just folk science, people had theories that they made up about how women got pregnant because we didn't have fucking microscopes to see eggs and right. sperm, right? 
Like you, they wouldn't even necessarily notice that it happened because of sex. Sometimes uh, cultures thought it was because you just crossed a fire a certain way right. or something. Which um, I still believe. Other, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> the earth is flat and women get pregnant with fire. <laughs> I just watched, was listening to Alex Jones yes. thing. That was pretty awesome. I, I checked that out, Dan. It was long it's as four fuck. four and a half it's, hours. It's insane. It's so it's good. It's amazing, dude. Yeah. It's amazing. Dark elves. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's gone, like, religious, man. He's He's gone so religious, like, <laughs> talking about Satan and God warring. I honestly feel like it's because he's having yeah, to appeal yeah. to a narrower base since losing, like, 90% of his revenue from iTunes and other platforms dropping him. Yeah, He's, yeah. Okay, wait. Oh, I got way out of that. Oh, I just want to talk about Alex, Alex Jones, Jones now. I know. Um, Is Alex Jones Christopher Ryan? I'm typing that in right now. <laughs> 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 it's bi- He's Bill Hicks. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, okay, so mother's fa- so part of this thing about conception, right, and not having not bring, being able to see sperm and egg, is that um, one culture came up with a theory that women are always pregnant, pretty much un- ever since they come of age, um, and that they ha- pretty much always have a little egg or a little baby in them, and uh, as they have sex with men, they gather the what they call men's milk. And that men's milk feeds the baby, and the little baby grows. So at the end, you have a bunch of men having contributed to the growth of the ba- the baby. So p- part of that is that, like, uh, you want to go get good milk. Like, if you want it to be a good musician, you go fuck the musician and get his milk. And if you want it to be a good, like, shaman, you go fuck the shaman. Um, and you can get a bunch of these essences of the men in it. So that it, when it comes out... They're, the, they just don't have a concept of there being a single father, right. which is another kind of like world-shattering thing for us to be like, oh, wow, I never thought that there would be something like that. And um, so I like that, and it ends up kind of lending itself to this whole vision of the primal horde or the primordial horde, mm-hmm. which is just kind of the interconnected. And this stuff always makes me think of mycelium, and like uh, fungus growing, like and how we connect in all these different directions, right? Um, you know, and it's not in these clean binary ways that modern life tends to try to put them into. Um, so anyway, that I really like that stuff about folk science from before, because um, I like how it makes sense in a way, and they even talk about how it seems to um, promote like a more cooperative and like a better society for children right right where children can just run around and they're kind of considered everybody's children because like, anybody right? anybody that you've had sex with you've potentially contributed to a child of theirs right. right so like um and that's what they talk about right under the standard narrative the males don't want to take care of uh, offspring that aren't their own because it's expensive for their resources and it doesn't put their genes into the future but the standard narrative puts too much or seems to put too much emphasis on individuals getting their genes into the future instead right. of just humans getting human genes into the future. Right. Um, so under this, you have, right, like tribes where kids just run around. I thought about this on sort of like a mechanical level where if, you know, say the fucking dad goes out on a hunt and like on the way back stops for like a smoke ceremony or something with a neighboring tribe and like hooks up with somebody... 
like all of a sudden dad has a little bit of a kid over in that village potentially mm-hmm. and like wouldn't want to fuck with that village because he might be fucking with his kid at some point or um I, I like how this stuff right the basic argument here ends up being that sexuality is not procreational for us and is instead like a highly developed language that we use to connect with people and establish um trusting relationships potentially pretty quickly mm-hmm. right like that's something you notice even after a quote one night stand like sometimes you can bond with somebody in a way where like if you're passing through town again you could hit them up right, right? and like so we see that today even um and that's kind of the power and we for a long time we've been taught to be ashamed of ourselves for that right um, or, or to suppress that instead of embracing it. And it seems to lead to a lot of frustrated people. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the Chinese group. The, the, there's a Uh-oh. tribe in China called Mosuo. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel bad because yeah. my coworker, um, she's been there. Like she, she lived in China for a while, and she, she pronounced their name correctly, and it's different than whatever I'm saying. But, uh, right. Oh, it's yeah, like anyway, Swan or whatever. Yeah, it's in the book. It's M O S U O. I'm looking at page like 126, 27, 28, 29. Um, yeah. There's their society is matriarchal. Oh. Ma- Moswo. Yeah. Something Moswo. like that. But their society is like they don't have marriages. They're matriarchal. Matri- mm-hmm. Matriarchal. Thank you, thank you. Uh, yes. So their names and property is passed down according to like matrilineal lines. Yeah, right. The women make the most of the decisions for the group, and uh, they kind of they kind of have the keys to the kingdom, right? Um, they don't really have long term. Like, there's a quote. Uh, it, it, it seemed quite uh, Chinese. Just, just, just listen to this. Imagine like Confucius or Sun Tzu saying something like this. <laughs> Women and men should not marry, for love is like the seasons. It comes and goes. Right? That, that's... I like that. Yeah. But, but it's, it's uh, so they have a system, please correct me if I'm wrong, where, like, at night, like, there's, like, a door. The way that their houses are set up, there's a door, an outside door to the woman's room. And, like, different men on different nights can go, like, shack up. And it's they don't really talk the about our room. Yeah, and they don't really talk about it. Like they don't really kiss and tell. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, yeah. if they like each other, they'll fuck for a few nights or you know however long they want to. But there's like no sweat when they're like when that person stops coming over and someone else does. Like it's not really a yeah, thing. Yeah. They don't see it well, in they, the same. They don't have the same like proprietarian relationship to human relation, human right. sexuality. Wow. Um, Hell yeah! Here I want I want to read. A little bit. This is on page 129. It says, Particularly libidinous Mosuo women and men ashamedly report having had hundreds of relationships. Shame, from their perspective, would be the proper response to promises of or demands for fidelity. A vow of fidelity would be considered inappropriate, an attempt at negotiation or exchange. Openly expressed jealousy for the Mosuo is considered aggressive and its implied intrusion upon the sacred autonomy of another person and is thus met with ridicule and shame. That's super cool. Yeah, yeah. it's really awesome. Uh, so wait, just to be clear, it says particularly the bitterness most will women and men unashamedly report right. having had. Right. I just heard you say shame at least, kind of. Oh, or yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I there's meant, a little slip I'm of the sorry, sorry. Yep, I did. I meant unashamedly. 
Yeah. No. So yeah, the whole point is that they think jealousy is bad. Like they think that you're. It's the inappropriate thing about, response. Right. Right. It's immature, kind of. Yeah, it's exactly. like, hey, you can't. What I found um, fascinating is I'd, I'd bring uh, examples like the most woe up to other people throughout the month of reading. And they would like usually react negatively, thinking it was like yeah. somehow strange or bizarre. And I like reminded them, I was like, rem- I don't know, at least in my experience, that's, that's sort of like what being an adolescent was like. Like, it, it mm. I, maybe I'm just speaking too much in my own experience, but, like, uh, you know, if we want to, like, use the, the pop culture term now, like, uh, hookup culture is kind of this idea, right, of, like, unabashedly hooking up with friends and, like, doing it respectfully and, you know, like, I think people always would hear the term, like, oh, there's, like, a door and men would sneak up to it at night, and I'm like, no, it's just, like, like how your door was open to whoever you were, like, intimate with in that week or so, like... And it would be there, and then it would fizzle, and then you both would move on, but remain friends and see each other in the same circles at different bars, mm-hmm. and be like, "Oh, hey, how's it going? How you doing?" Right. I read it in that way, as opposed yeah, to I yeah. think like when I would try to describe it, people would think of it as just this like strange sort of like at night people just like sneak around and fuck everywhere. And no, it'd be like, "Hey, fucking come well, over and, tonight." And when and yeah. when people we'll when joint. people react. In that way, yeah. to these kind of systems, it, it tells a lot. It shows a lot about their weaknesses, right? I mm. think, right, or their vulnerabilities. Because even just to bring it really quick back to the most, well, uh, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Chinese government like had a thing where they like tried oh, to convince yeah. them to live otherwise. Like, spent a lot of money and resources mm-hmm. to get a very very small minority to change yeah. the way that they're having sexual relations with each other. Because, they sent uh, agents down there who would beat men that were caught sneaking around at night to go yeah. to different houses. Yeah, it says, uh, yeah, they, they, they had, like, programs where they would show, um, they would show pictures of people with, like, in the far stages of syphilis and, like, try to relate that to their own practices. They set up a theater to try to show the people yeah. propaganda about Which it. Which is horrifying if you've never if you've never and seen late stage syphilis victims, it is horrifying. <laughs> and then and then so it's a, one more paragraph I'm going to read really quick. It says when even these heavy-handed tactics failed to convince the most to abandon their system, government officials insisted on bringing if not demonstrating decency to the most They cut off essential deliveries of seed grain and children's clothing. Finally, Ugh. literally starved into submission, many many of them agreed to participate in government-sponsored marriage ceremonies where each was given a cup of tea, a cigarette, pieces of candy, and a paper certificate. Jesus. But it that's didn't really so work. fucked up. Yeah, but it didn't work. The, I mean, it's, that's like it the most like, terrifying work. idea to like my little, what small libertarianism I have in me. The idea of thinking of a government just like withholding food and resources to a small minority group of people just because of, like, minor cultural differences. Yeah. I mean, that's why we need the Second Amendment. You know what I'm saying? Right. Exactly. (laughs) We're all on the same page, brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all ever seen bonobos rub genitals together? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just to speak on, like, a larger... Like, just to pull away from, like, trying to describe the book and just say, like, my own experience with it. I I love mm. this shit so much. Like, I love... Ever since I was a little kid, I've loved looking at, like, other tribes. Like, I just always had this this curiosity and fascination with, like, Amazonian tribes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Deep Eastern um, 
cultures and different different tribes throughout the world and so one of like I, I I had so much pleasure from reading the different uh, little bios and write ups that he would have on of a, a multitude of different tribes that have been studied mm-hmm. throughout the decades across the planet the Yanomami the mm-hmm. the Muswa we were talking about in China um, and so many others I I loved it I mean that if if you are into that if you are into this idea of like taking a look at some of these more primitive tribes that are still thriving or not thriving but still present on the globe this book is so much fun and it also creates like a really fun narrative that helps mm. explain some of the feelings that like a lot of the stuff that he would talk about and argue i it it, it kind of makes sense on like a base level a deep it for oh, me it's absolutely. a deep level too like part of why i love this book so much is it at one on the one hand it came at a really uh instant like important time in my life right like at the end of a marriage and shit when i was trying to figure out what the fuck happened but also like i've just been confused about like modern life for a really long time right and like why the fuck do we do this this way or i came from a broken household so i was like what like why are my parents like living in different places now or like what is this and now when i look back and i think it's like oh we are apes in cars and in marriages and like going to jobs. Like we are apes. Mm -hmm. And then we like, we wonder why we have depression or why all these different problems seem to happen, you know, addiction or whatever. Right. And it's like, Oh, well it makes sense if this thing that's supposed to be like out on the African plane and spent 95% of its existence as a species in that context, why it would be so cramped in a, like a box in a car or in a house. Right. Um, I mean, and so I just felt my own anxieties be like kind of explained to be like, oh yeah, okay, I'm not fucking crazy. Like, well, I might be, but like, I'm not, <laughs> not for as this crazy reason, as I thought. Right. Not for this reason, at least. <laughs> there, there's no way that like cities are natural. Like, there's no, no. way that the well, they're not. They wouldn't have existed before ten thousand years nothing, ago before we had the resources. Nowadays is natural, guys. I mean, that, that's pretty obvious. That's the point, too. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. I think, I think for me, I, it was, I don't think, or it's obvious to me that uh, humans are not strictly monogamous beings because we're, you know, we're apes with uh, hormones. And, you know, the idea of monogamy is definitely like a cultural thing. And I, yeah. So I think it was really interesting learning about, uh, like Cooper was saying, different tribes of people and how culturally, we evolved in different areas of the world and, and how that is uh, in comparison to also like primitive great apes like bonobos well, and chimps who are so close to us. And, mm-hmm. and, and just to go off that really quick, uh, so like we all have experience of the standard narrative, right? That's like we all grew up watching Disney. We all grew up with our parents telling us that this is what we do. You find one person to settle down with. You remain faithful to them and you, you, you pass on lineage you know, continue the existence of the human race. But how how common is infidelity? How many of you guys have been in relationships where you've either been cheated on or cheated? And how many people do you know? Right. It's all the time, dude. And I don't know, Everywhere. I remember in university, like, almost every relationship, like, someone cheats. And not my mm-hmm. own. This isn't coming from experience. This is, like, noticing from, like, just friends' stories. And everyone right. acts like it's, like, the biggest. Everyone's like, oh, oh, wow. 
Wow, what that the happened? fuck, yo? That happened? So now, now when people tell me this, they're like, oh, like, oh, fuck, I cheated on my girlfriend. It's like the worst. I'm like, yeah, well, fuck, dude. Like, everyone's doing it. Like, <laughs> everyone's doing it. Or, or like, oh, she cheated on me. It's like, yeah, it, that's what happens. That's what people do. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like, I don't so, know how no one, like, it's common. You hear it all the time. Right. It's everywhere. So here's, here's the shit where it, like, lands for me. Um, around kind of the expectations of monogamy and how unreasonable they are in a lot of ways for, like, probably a lot of people is that what Chris Ryan is saying is that, or Chris Ryan and Casilda's name is on here. He's the active one. I don't, she doesn't speak English that well. <laughs> I don't think, or I don't know. I guess I need to do research on that, but it's kind of funny. I think some part of me thinks that he slapped her name on there in some way, <laughs> like a little bit. Um, yeah, I didn't notice any presence from her if there was. I had no idea of the no, differentiation. Um, so I'm not sure about that, but... Um, poo, poo, poo. Poo, poo, poo? Poo, poo, poo. Relationship escalator. Oh, damn it. Oh, expect. So he basically paints a picture of us. Here's my analogy. With monogamy, as a lot of people practice it, it says, it's like you put a steak in front of a dog and you say, Mr. Dog, if you eat that steak, you will break my fucking heart. And then the dog does pretty well for a while because he doesn't want to break your heart and he has like some dog food over there. But then that dog is eventually going to eat that steak. Like it's in the dog's nature to fucking rip into that red meat and eat that steak. And like for you to base a contract on that with a dog seems pretty ridiculous. And I that's like kind of maybe like a strong analogy, but I do think that there's a lot of truth with that. That's actually a pretty good analogy. I I feel like that was a good good one. Right, like and that's part of right Cooper and I talked about the thing at the end with Phil actually um <laughs> who leaves his wife and kids after or they he gets kicked out of the house basically after cheating on her and um it's this basically just the tragedy of an affair and how like people's families crumble and stuff and what he ends up saying in this is that like people set their foundations on kind of ridiculous ideas and then it's kind of yeah it's no no surprise and then you get like fucking everything's broken when somebody steps out one time and it's because of this whole romantic idea and the Puritan idea that we have to be devoted to each other and be soulmates or else it will break it or I don't know. There's a lot of stuff banging around with that, but. Um, yeah. Cooper, should we take a break or? I'll be right back if you guys want to keep talking. No, 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 no. I want to clarify clarify just uh, what I said a minute ago. Please. Um, when I was saying, when I was saying about infidelity, I don't, I don't mean to sound like I'm condoning it. Like I'm not, I'm not saying infidelity is a good thing. I'm just saying that it's extremely much more common than we would like to admit. Well, I think, I think that's part of my point though, right? It's, I do have kind of a radical idea about this, Dan, which is that, like, I don't feel that bad for people that get cheated on because they made a deal with a dog not to eat a steak in in some respect. So it's like, what do you expect? Like, and of course, we have all this cultural stuff that says we should think a certain way. But if you start to look at this stuff, it's like changes everything, basically. Right. 
No, I agree. I agree with that completely. Um, I'm going to get some water really fast. Oh, okay. Well, Dan, it's just you and I now. Yeah. So this is the segment of the podcast where uh, Dan and I talk about the American Revolution. Right. Yep. <laughs> no, I I know what you're talking about though, Dan. To con- uh, comment on your point, I think yeah. a lot of it stems from the, the how the grasp of religion has lessened in modern times, and people are kind of going away sure. from organized religion, and the idea that religion's idea of sexuality is not a, a obtainable or a, what's the word I'm looking for? Dan, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, God, uh, it's early over here. Uh, <laughs> that Well, just basically that process. the idea of, like, a, a religious, like, Puritan-like love, like Phil was saying, is what every Baby. everybody should be striving for when in reality yeah. everybody we has don't different... have the shadow of an all-powerful god condemning us to hell Th- that's exactly right dan right and ev- everybody has everybody has different tastes too so like the our sexualities all vary slightly even depending if you are uh into the same sex different sexes like group sex whatever like everyone has slightly different tastes so i think the importance is like people yep, yep. being able to communicate that and not be repressed, like you're saying, Phil, into like this idea of what they should be wanting. Well, and now that it's opening up, there's whole languages that are popping up uh, mm-hmm. around it. Like in the polyamory world, we're coming up with words to fill in gaps of like the old binary type language that was trying to keep things in certain boxes and like it's just become more and more apparent that those boxes don't work totally um oh you had you said something i forgot it. uh iceberg so i think about an iceberg we hadn't gotten to that part yet so if you guys want to talk about the iceberg now it's fine um but yeah, I think uh, I honestly I I really enjoyed this book. Like I, I don't disagree with it. I like completely understand, especially on a biological level, a lot of the concepts he's talking about with human sexuality and you know the idea of being apes and sexual beings. Like a, a lot of the the um sections where he was talking about how much humans have sex or ejaculate or the time that we have sex compared to like apes was crazy because it's like it's like astron it's astronomically more than the other apes. Like I think, yeah, it will ape bonobos. They only can last for seven seconds at a time. It makes evolutionary sense, right? Yeah, and to me that was, so and like when if that paired with their like uh, the way that their culture or culture, but but the way that bonobo bonobo societies work where they're very, like, sexually promiscuous in a very passive way. You know, it makes sense with the their their uh, sexual ability, biologically, you know. they uh, But they also talked about how bonobos have deep, loving relationships, too. With, with yeah, they other bonobos. bonobos, even. Right, and they stare into uh, each other's eyes. Yeah, like, they stare into we... each other's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so, I think, I thought... 
I thought it was really cool the the, the two the spectrum of uh, chimpanzees and bonobos. How chimpanzees were definitely like the more hard, violent part of the spectrum, and the bonobos were like the more passive, very ultra casual side of the ape. Yeah, so I want to jump in here really fast with the chimp thing because it leads to an interesting discussion about civilization and agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right, we mentioned that chimps are known as more violent animals, but even those observations are questionable. I don't know if you guys remember the part where they talk about Jane Goodall noticing that apes getting more aggressive as they oh, were giving them the bananas. Right, mm-hmm. because... Yeah, the, there was something, right, there was something about the food. They did something with the food, and it made the chimps more aggressive. Well, all of a sudden, right, so these researchers were trying to watch the apes, so they would put out boxes of bananas for the apes to have. So all of a sudden in the environment, instead of having bananas spread all over for apes to go and get, you know, when they need it, you have a concentrated resource all of a sudden. And the apes started to act a lot like humans act with concentrated resources, which is to say warlike and uh, possessive. You know, it's a, that's an interesting aspect to think about, too, that undermines the Hobbesian worldview, which is that humans, you know, before agriculture, there just wasn't significant enough resources to fight over. Like, right. there wasn't a concentration enough that it would be worthwhile for you to go and potentially lose people in your party in a battle or something. Right, right. So, whereas we're told that, like, prehistory was nasty, brutish, and short, and, like, Native Americans or whatever indigenous tribes, like, were raping each other all the time, chances are they didn't really have reason to. The, the views that we have of Native Americans around here in Montana is of Western Native Americans after the introduction of the horse where they're riding around stealing horses and stuff. But even the horse is something that we didn't have in this place before Europeans came. And so that wouldn't have been like a resource that people were vying for. Um, Right. So, yeah, I don't know. um, And the bananas. Yeah, so the chimpanzees, even that observation was skewed, right? It wasn't an objective observation because they were changing the environment that the apes were in just by their presence and by by offering them bananas to hang out. And so they all of a sudden had something to fight over, and so they saw them when they were fighting around this fucking pile of bananas. Yeah, and one thing, I think the main thing I loved about this book, even if you disagree, like even if you're like, oh, my monogamous relationship is ordained in the eyes of the Lord and and all the rest, (laughs) I think it's a you, you can still learn a lot from this book in the sense that like, uh, science is supposed to be this objective thing, right? Like, supposed to be void of subjectivity, but, like, he keeps giving examples of how our cultural underpinnings keep getting thrown into the mix, right? Like, Darwin being a prude in a society where women are basically seen and not heard, and they're not sexual, but they're also wearing corsets, right? And, uh, yeah, yeah, and just, like, this this thing with Jane Goodall and, and, and uh, making the apes get more resource-intensive, like science is a human activity and as such is carried out by humans and not just like neutral oracle orb things like floating around observing like we all have baggage when we look at the world right and this is just expanding that to a larger level saying that our whole whole culture kind of has that there's no such thing as a perspective free perspective right there's another interesting thing about our uh, views of patriarchy and matriarchy in history um, and how we might extrapolate about like what, whether or not we're more naturally matriarchal or patriarchal is that 
like if if members of a patriarchal society go out and look for um, signs of a matriarchal society, oftentimes they'll look for just a mirror image of the patriarchal society, right. just with women or females in places <laughs> of power, right? Which but, is not what's an evidence in 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 matriarchal societies. No, ev- matriarchal societies have forever. much different shapes and power functions much differently. They're better usually, right? Um, and so you can't bring the same framework and expect to see things and expect to see power signified in the same ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like all that stuff that just complicates the fuck out of the fuck out of that. Yeah, that stuff. I think uh, I might have to get it wrapped up here, guys. That's cool. Let me see. Can I just look over the book really quick to see if we had any big ones? Yes, of course. Yeah, I don't mean to cut it short, but... I Really quick, I wanted to talk about what what I thought was fascinating. Um, The the invention of the vibrator. Yeah. You guys remember that? So so, um, there was a whole disease, hysteria, that was basically... It was just sexually repressed human females. That we're not getting work at. Like, like, think about like if you guys have ever been sexually frustrated. It's not, it's not a great feeling. Um, right. But so these women back in the day, they they would come with these symptoms of this this hysteria, this disease where it was basically just they were being sexually repressed, and they would have to go get the doctors would induce orgasm in the women, right? And that they, that's why a man invented a vibrator because he got tired. <laughs> and I love it like and the, right and and the doctors the doctors like were not looking forward to it like they were like oh god right it's like oh mrs <laughs> mrs potts came in and now we've got to we've got to fix this problem and i've got to sit and i've got to play with her snatch for the next hour <laughs> it reminds oh. me of um that one guy it was a guy who who bragged that he never fucked his wife <laughs> never he was the one, oh, uh, yeah. was it just Kel- Kellogg maybe? I think it might have been Kellogg. So Kellogg got morning, every morning he got an enema from a male orderly. Yes. <laughs> Which is just oh, amazing. It. And he never had sex with his wife, so it's like, hmm. He'd brag about that. Yep. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, so That's the other thing that we terrible. maybe missed is female copulatory vocalization. Right, oh, which yes. is this idea that women are just louder during sex, and how that seems to be a like it could be a, sing- a signal for them saying like, "Hey, I'm in the mood." Shit going on over here, like, fucking, let's do it. Um, and part of what I really love about this book is how much it flips thinking about women and the coy female, and really shows how powerful women are through their sexuality if it's allowed to be expressed. Um, right. Which is where there's part no of the, shame attached to it. Where there's no shame attached to it. Um, right, even with this multiple fathers uh, strategy, you have women kind of hiding the card from men in some sense, even on a microscopic level, right? And they don't even realize they're doing it in, like where um, where the men know, don't know if it's their kid. Like all right. of a sudden, this woman just or this woman just has men like hanging around her because they may or may not have a kid, and like that's kind of dope. Like she ends up looking like a bad bitch, right? Like right, just all these guys wanting to be around. So I just like this um, part of that thing. There's a paragraph in here. I don't know where it is, but um, it says about how it seems like when agriculture popped up, it lent it seemed to lend itself to 
like patriarchal power dynamics with like once there was resources that were worth fighting over the more aggressive or like possessive aspects in men probably like put men into positions where they had more power right and then women didn't have the ability to just go collect fucking berries like a lot of forager societies women provide more of the calorie intake for uh the tribe than the men do because they're providing staples like berries and shit that the tribe eats when they don't have meat. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to think about how agriculture could have been a mechanism that popped up and led to huge power and differences with men and women or males and females because before that, yeah, I mean, a, a female, a woman would have a baby and like her family would just help her take care of it or it wasn't this whole big thing and Right, he talks about, I wanted to mention infants, right? Um, in industrial France, he talks about the infant, like, infirmaries or, oh, like, yeah, the boxes that, that they had. They like, changeling houses? Yeah, you could just, like, drop Founding a baby houses. off. Foundling, Foundling, yeah. Yeah. You just drop a baby off, and then you didn't have to worry about it anymore. And, like, often they just died well, there. Most of these places had, like, close to 100% mortality rate for these infants. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, uh, oh, I forget where I got that, but. That was early nowadays, on in the book, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But nowadays, I guess I've just been thinking about the extent to which everything becomes like an expense or a commodity of some kind, and how kids now haven't been even made into something that's no longer like a gift or something, but it's like a, a ball and chain around, like because of the expenses that they, that they, Bring tax write off. You do get a tax write off, um, right. but Hell a lot yeah. of the time it, it's it it cripples people more, or they're thought of as a burden, and that just sort of makes me sad. Um, also, though, we should talk about how there are a lot more dead babies in uh, prehistoric times. A little bit. Did mm. you guys remember that part? Like about infanticide. Right. Yeah. That. That. Um, just as that being a thing to control. Uh, so I think they were they were talking in the book about our conflated sense of not only um, our life expectancy rates, right? That's sort of a constantly um, given number that is just kind of based on faulty science. When you look at it, it's based more on actually like on on the rate of infants reaching a certain age as opposed to um, well, it's a function people, of averages, right? A function of averages based on infant mortality. Which isn't like at all a good signifier for uh, average um, life expectancies of people, or quality of life, or or qu- right, exactly. Right. <clears throat> so something they talked about is how babies in some like older cultures are not considered to be full humans, like they're more on the level of animals and stuff. So whereas we have debates about like whether or not an embryo is like a full human. <laughs> like a mother, like they talked to mothers in Brazil or something that where they said, like, it's pretty common to for infanticide where, like, mm-hmm. women will just let babies die if the baby is weak or, like... And there's a lack of resources. Well, and if you... And you're right. And if you have a small group, like a, for, like a, like a band, it's right. adding new people is going to be extremely... In, uh, Difficult, not dangerous. 
Right, right. It's you're gonna have to get uh, get that much more research. I, my grammar is fucked this morning. Um, <laughs> you're gonna need that. You're gonna need more resources to provide for more people. So it, it's not right. just like taking in another person. It's just this easy, like, oh well, you know, come join the group. Mm-hmm. It's they want they another damn mouth to feed. Right, <laughs> exactly. Well, it's like the the working assumption is that these groups. They worked really, really hard to provide for everyone, right? Yeah. Like these—that's part of his argument, or not argument, but his angle from it is that these forager bands were very, very egalitarian, like like strictly so, like in yeah, like enforced egalitarianism. Cause that's just what is necessary in order for everyone to survive. Well, and also there isn't just the opportunity for that much hierarchy because of the lack of resources again, right? Right. Yeah, it's huge. And 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 going back to the infanticide real quick, it was it was like a fascinating study between what egalitarian small bands are willing to do in order to ensure the survival of everyone, but also another example of just how even what even the a term the term child or infant or uh, as far as its its consideration for humanity is concerned is cultural as well. That is a good point, Cooper. Which which I is so I will be the first to admit is like difficult to wrap my mind around, you know, these like very ingrained cultural understandings that I have and then to think of them being either inverted um, or otherwise, like discarded when it comes to another culture, is that I mean that's difficult. Like I, I don't think I'm alone in saying like it is like a really strange and difficult thought experiment for me to think of like a child not being human until it's naming day when it's like 18 months old. Um, I'm not like prescribing any sort of like judgment or value on that. Um, this, but this book is fun for if you if you do want to challenge some of your preconceived notions on something that you never thought you would question, which is basis of monogamy, basis of father, motherhood, Absolutely. childhood relationships. I think it's I think it's silly walking around acting like everything is one way or needs to be one way or right. Everyone should be in the same box. Especially, like, because we we all seem to be, like, of the same sort of postmodernist emo boy ilk as far as, like, the books we pick. And if we're, if we're going to go around saying nothing matters, then we should be able to, like, challenge uh, what, what things we have that apparently don't matter. Because people have difficulty doing that, right? Um, this book kind of caused an uproar when it came out, right? Like there was a lot I of negative so, press, sure. and I, I think I love that because that's what yeah. What I love mm. about that is like that's kind of a testament to to its message, right? Right. I don't know if if it attacks these like basic assumptions, and then everyone like starts freaking out about it. It's like, well, you must feel pretty vulnerable about that, right? Well, I mean. I mean, honestly, I was begrudging this pick a little bit, Phil. I, I just thought it'd be a lot more, uh, like, opinion in your face. And I think the way it came off was actually really pleasant. And the way it, it uh, revealed this information and was trying to engage with the reader. So I didn't feel, I didn't feel attacked ever. Like, I felt like uh, it was like having a conversation about these topics. Whether or not I practiced them with you know as the same as these authors or the same that they're talking about you know I, it was nice to engage with these ideas and kind of play around with them and how they work in my own life 
and you know in light and in modern life in general too. Um, I do have a paper due in a little less than two hours, so I might no. have to get going here. No. I th- that's sure. fine. I think we're about done anyway. For what class? I'm just curious. It is for careers in wildlife biology. I have to write a nice. quick essay for that. Well, yeah. tell them that you're working on your career talking about <laughs> s- books and sex and stuff. One of us has to do that in this group. Somebody does. Yeah. Anybody. Everyone. Dan? Do I think we've gone like two hours or more. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we have. Closing remarks. I'll start. I thoroughly enjoyed this book. It was a very fun, easy read, very informative, not just in challenging preconceived notions that I had, but like I said, I've had a lifelong fascination with the idea of primitive tribes with the idea of studying other cultures, monkeys, chimps, like I love that. Um, I don't want to, sorry for any monkey or ape nerd out there, I know that chimps are not monkeys. I am so sorry. Um, (laughs) But this was super fun. It was super um, um, uh, easy to read. Um, Was of a level that I could understand, and if there were certain terms or concepts I didn't understand, the authors were sure and to explain to me exactly what they were getting at. It was really easy to access. Um, that being said, like I'm always curious whenever I'm being prescribed a new way to look at human evolution and how humans should live their lives. I will always be skeptical of that. Um, and so this book begs me to look further into the research and to see what sort of rebuttals were made against it, to see what others had to say about it and... You know, it's been over a decade since it was published. I'd be curious to see uh, what other evidence suggests uh, that what the authors wrote is true or not. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply fascinated with this topic, and I think this was like a really nice gateway into some pretty, um, pretty cool, heady stuff. So, uh, I was reflecting on this uh, book last night when I was drinking, and I wrote something apparently. Um, so I, uh, for my closing, I'll just share that. Um, well, first, bef- before I read that, I'll say uh, I, I did really, really enjoy this book. Uh, I ended up reading it. I, I only read it in a few sessions. I felt like when I sat down with it, I could I could easily blow through 60, 70 pages at a time. Yeah. Um, just the way it's structured and the, the conversational tone and, um, you know, humorous tidbits and historical anecdotes. It's great. It, it's um, a lot of reasons to read this book. Um, yes. But uh, Drunk Dan last night said, uh, Gotta love the angle of Darwin and the rest, bringing to the eye gazing through the microscope more than pure impartiality as their profession would rightly preach. They analyze the results from their own through their own cultural lens, incorporating their own values, etc., when science should be completely... Should be completely uh, something. Uh, I can't. I can't read my handwriting. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, uh, apparently, I had some profound thoughts. Oh, uh, damn it, Dan! If I was there, I... right? Yeah, yeah, Eric, you can read my handwriting better than I can. So, yeah, if you were here, you'd figure this shit <laughs> Crazy. out. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that 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 will be my closing. All right. Cool. Well, I go. So. uh... Like I said, I actually really enjoyed this book after begrudging it, and 
I think part of it was just how it was uh, very engaging with the reader. And, you know, I really loved learning about all, like, the, the differences and similarities between us and chimps and bonobos, which I wasn't very familiar with as a species of uh, ape anyways. So that was kind of fun to learn about, uh, you know, those two close relatives to humans and, you know, about different tribes of people, like Cooper was saying earlier. I think all of the that stuff, the anthropological side and the biological side of this uh, book, or at least what they were attempting to do with it, like really engaged me a lot. So I think, and I think it's fun challenging perceptions for sure. Like, I think it's good to be uncomfortable when you read something and like, really question here, here. everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. I'm glad you guys liked it. I've, I was really fucking excited about this book when I read it the first time. I think it was, it was the first time that I discovered the method of reading where like, I was really excited about what I was reading. So I didn't want to stop. So yeah, when yeah. I had to go to work or something, I would just put it on the audio book and pick up where I left off. And then I would come home and pick up reading or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've since like incorporated that method of reading into the, into my practice a little bit. But um, it's kind of funny. Oh, shit. Sorry, someone came in here. Um, anyway, I was super excited about this. I think it's cool. I think the dem- demolition analogy is a good one because it's this idea that it just clears this whole gap for things to kind of spring up. Like if you think of, right, I think there's a really Nietzschean aspect with this project um, about pushing down these big mono structures that have been in our culture, like this monotheistic uh, idea, or in some senses, like in economics, like a mono capitalistic structure or in agriculture, we have monoculture, um, and this was just another like monogamy, like this idea that's been propped up and doesn't seem to fit in a lot of ways. And so I think it really effectively like finds all the pillars and sorts them out and then demolishes them um, kind of like a big tree that falls in the rainforest. And all of a sudden there's this big gap of sunlight that can spring up. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about kind of new possibilities and directions of relationships once we start like incorporating this knowledge. Um, you know, he kind of nods to polyamory a little bit and talks about how somebody else even describes like, I think it's from the newspaper article or some article that this triad seems to be replicating possible like relationship structures from ancient times. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm where you have like more of a little tribe unit thing. Um, yeah. And I like that. I think it's good to just question this stuff. Um, it can, right. We even talked about how this stuff brings out insecurities and people spike up because of it. And I think it's really important to just examine where that stuff comes from and to see if it's like based in a good place or not. Cause often it's just based in fear, right? Like there's a lot of abandonment stuff that's built into the standard narrative or codependency stuff that's built into the standard narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stuff seems to prop up insecurities. And um, so what I like about this is that it kind of takes down, takes us down into some gritty places and makes us deal with some things like yeah. jealousy or whatever is a big one that comes up in like polyamory or um, whatever. He even mentions jealousy in this book. That was another term that he like complicated by saying it didn't have uh, 
really wide applicable meaning. But uh, I really like this book for all the complications it brings to science. And I'm always kind of mad that people are like treat science like a religion and that like it's leading us someplace like to the promised land or something and that it's flawless or objective or, um, and I think this book just does a really good, good job of showing how it's, it has a fuckload of baggage a lot of the time. And it's also not really that good at seeing outside of itself and kind of seeing, seeing new ways of, of how things are done. So that's a big long thing, but I could probably talk about this book for a long time. So, um thanks guys yeah um hey thank you this was a good one yeah this was a really good one phil and thanks for listening everyone yeah. whoever's listening out is it uh i think it's my choice next time right it yeah is. it's gonna be fun it's a pretty- yeah the princess bride by william goldman which is basically yeah. like the uh whole romantic picture i think yeah isn't that the perfect? Isn't that the perfect book? After we just talked, you know, demolished it all. <laughs> <laughs> demolished it like the Titanic demolished that iceberg, or breaking that iceberg up. But yeah, <clears throat> I think it'll be fun. A good switch up to like some fun fantasy, not silliness. I love it. Remember to smash that like button. Follow us on Twitter. <laughs> GoFundMe, Podbean, Fuck Indiegogo. Yeah. Patreon. We haven't done a group plug for the Patreon. Patreon it is. Yeah. Patreon. Lots of cool. www.patreon backslash Cooper needs a new car, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not it. <laughs> that's a different one, Coop. That was your Kickstarter. <laughs> that's the Kickstarter one. Yeah. Cooper's having a baby. <laughs> that is real life. Give me money, please. I'll send you. You'll send out uh, pages of your journal as you uh, descend into madness over having. <laughs> that would actually be a very interesting tier. Yes, exactly. That'd be a good tier. Um, yeah, right. go f- go subscribe. Be a be a patron on our Patreon. There's a always. Really amazing, fantastic stuff from a lot of really talented, creative people. And you're really missing out if you don't, if you're not having these things in your hand. It's really impressive to see what everybody puts together for those um, packages. So go over there and check it out. Okay. It's it's by it's two times a week we send you a package. That's not it. Don't say that. <laughs> it's two times a day for 76 days straight we send you stuff. Once a month, once a month. <laughs> it's a month a month pack, once a month package and it's, I that the other stuff I said is very true. It's yeah. incredibly talented people who put stuff in there, so go and support that if you'd like. Wastevision.org, Wastevision Patreon, that's all. Waste more bitches. Twitter, Podbean. We have Thank some you. news about uh, Waste Radio that we will share soon. Yeah. yeah. We little, do. Little idea, yep. Sorry. Bet. Important people only. This, this yeah, the, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry Dan. You weren't you were in that circle. Phil, god damn it. <laughs> Did I leak it? Yeah, to Dan, at least. Fuck. <laughs> All right, should we say bye? Yeah. All right. Bye. Thank bye. you. Is this what we do at the end of our podcast? We all say bye? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> do it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Adios. Return Bye. our goodbye, Cooper. Yeah, there we go. Very Bye. good. I guess we are saying goodbye to each other. All right, if that's the case, bye, guys. It was so good seeing you. Peace, fellas. Well, that does it for another episode of Waste Books. Thanks for tuning in. Um, If you like what you heard, check out our website, waste-division.org, where you can find much more of our work and work by other artists. Um, If you would like to participate in our independent art distro, go to patreon.com slash waste division and check out our tier options um, available at prices anywhere from $1 a month up to $25 or more. Um, And we'll send you uh, anywhere from a sticker up to records and posters that us and our people, our friends, are making. Um, Music today is a live track by the Bad Math Band called Chum Dumplings. 